Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. This week, when you sit down at your Passover Seder table to tell the story of our people, I would ask that you pause to reflect on the question of which story it is that you are telling. For some, the Haggadah recounts the story of how in every generation a Pharaoh figure arises to destroy the Jewish people, a reminder to us of the importance of standing vigilant against the perennial threat of anti-Semitism. For others, the take-home message of the Seder is not vigilance, but empathy, that as Jews, we must forever identify with the heart of the stranger. After all, we too were once strangers in a strange land. For some, the Passover story is a reminder of divine providence and power, how by way of God's mighty hand and outstretched arm, we were freed from Egypt. For others, the focus is not God, but humanity, the central charge of the Seder to see ourselves as if we personally came out of Egypt. For some, the core of the story is slavery. For others, emancipation. For some, it's about freedom and self-determination. For others, about commitment and belonging. For some, the Exodus is a reminder of the special relationship between God and the chosen people. For others, the Haggadah teaches that in spite of our being idol worshipers, God nevertheless freed us out of bondage. For some, Passover is a holiday of Dayenu. It would have been enough. We should be satisfied with our portion. For others, it's a tale's of the redemptions that yet lie ahead, that the fights need to be fought. We're never satisfied till we reach the promised land, and even then, maybe not. Next year, we conclude the Haggadah in Jerusalem. So too, the Passover symbols, as many explanations as there are people at the Seder tables. Is the matzah a reminder of the haste by which we left Egypt? Or is it, as we say at the beginning of the Seder, halachma, this is the bread of affliction, a reminder of our servitude? Is the haroset symbolic of the mortar with which we built the pyramids? Or is it there to sweeten the sting of the bitter herb? Is the salt water there to symbolize the tears of our servitude? Or the luxurious act of dipping our food, something only a free man and woman can do? For that matter, do we dip our fingers in the wine with each plague to savor the vengeance exacted on our Egyptian oppressors as a reminder of the dipping and daubing of the blood on the doorposts, or to remove a drop of wine from our own cups, an admonition against taking joy at the downfall of our foes? Do we open the door for Elijah to welcome redemption, or so we can pour out our wrath upon our neighbors? 
I could go on, but the point is one and the same. Not only does the Haggadah contain a multitude of narrative threads, but each thread and each ritual contains a multitude of interpretive possibilities. If the point of the Passover Seder was merely to recite a concise national narrative, as the joke goes, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat, it would be much shorter and much clearer. If the point of the Haggadah were merely a recitation of history, it wouldn't contain all of its symbols, sidebars, and questions. Every nation has a history. Most countries have competing histories. Our own country, America, is one such example, the America 1619 Project and the 1776 Project. Jews, no different, have multiple narratives of self-understanding. We've just baked those narratives in to a single Haggadah document. As scholars will tell you, there's an archaeology to the Haggadah. It's a layered compendium or a kaleidoscope of biblical texts, Mishnaic texts, medieval texts, and modern texts interwoven and stitched together, the seams visible to close leaders, containing and maintaining a diversity of ages, sages, and sensibilities. But the Haggadah is more than that, much more. The Haggadah is not just about history or even about memory. It's a pedagogic exercise par excellence by which we overlay our own stories onto the shared template of our people's foundational narrative. The word Haggadah doesn't mean the story. It means the telling, an observation which, interesting as it may be, is made even more interesting if you stop to consider that the first thing we do in the Magi, the telling section, is not tell but ask. A document that begins with a question, Manishtana, what makes this night different, and ends with a question, Miyodea, who knows? More of an invitation than a recitation, the Haggadah is engineered to elicit comments and debate from its participants. Unlike every other liturgy, the Haggadah not only allows for, but actually expects interruption. Unlike ever, every other liturgy, the text of the Haggadah is directed not towards God, but to the person sitting across from you at the table, and for that matter, at our own selves. It's a reminder that our stories are not only endlessly diverse, but endlessly evolving, as is the case with Elazar ben Azariah, who even in the twilight of his life continued to find new meanings in each word. Most of all, the Haggadah is a reminder, a reminder that our stories, interpretations, and insights, diverse and evolving as they are, sit side by side, literally and figuratively, with other stories, interpretations, and insights of each Seder participant, each person, regardless of age, stature, or wisdom, an equal stakeholder. Much as we all love the rhetorical device of the four children, its point is not merely to prompt us to identify whether we are one child or another. Its point and power is to remind us that all four of those children figured out a way to sit at the table together. I have no idea 
if Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Elazar, Ben Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Tarfon actually liked each other. I just know that they made space for each other, debating until the break of dawn. Their insights preserved in the text together with that of other rabbis. The Haggadah isn't just a story of one of us, it is the story of us, all of us, across the generations, across the range of opinion, on the one hand, authentic to our own lived experience, on the other hand, inclusive and interconnected with the lived experience of others. As a teacher of mine once commented, there's a lexical correspondence between the Hebrew word Haggadah and the Hebrew word Gid, meaning sinew or tendon, that which binds us or connects us together. That's what the Haggadah is, a story that invites other stories, that connects those stories one to another, an indigenous, authentic, and inclusive tool of identity formation, binding each of us to a larger narrative, binding the Jewish people together through the ages, a document that has kept our people together in all our diversity throughout our history by the metric of its impact and readership, it's perhaps the most important document in the library of the Jewish people. Today, as I mentioned, is referred to as Shabbat Haggadol, the big Sabbath, the Sabbath immediately preceding Passover. For periods of Jewish history, dark, dark periods, when rabbis would only preach once or twice a year, this was the Shabbat given over to the big sermon, devoted not only to the themes of the upcoming Passover holiday, but also the urgent issues of the day, the underlying conditions, the presenting symptoms, and the prescriptive recommendations for that which ails our people. Today, on this Shabbat Haggadol, I don't need to look far to see the crises, the schisms, and the ruptures facing our people in Israel, between Israel and diaspora Jewry, and for that matter, between America and Israel. With no joy and with no hyperbole, I do believe we are at an inflection point in our people's history. It is just weeks away from the 75th anniversary of Israel's birth, and I am worried, very worried, as to whether Israel will reach its 100th. As many have pointed out over these past weeks, it was at about this interval that the American experiment came perilously close to its conclusion with the Civil War. As many have pointed out in these past weeks, there are eerie parallels between the internal divides presently tearing our people apart and those that preceded the fall of the Second Jewish Commonwealth in the year 70 of the Common Era. God forbid that such a thing should happen to the Jewish people on our watch. God forbid that history will look back on our generation as a generation under which a dream of Jewish sovereignty and peoplehood came crashing down by way of a self-inflicted and altogether avoidable injury. And tempted as I am to get into the particulars of judicial reform and Knesset politics, I'm gonna resist the urge. There's no shortage of coverage the news is changing by the minute. This will be a marathon and not a sprint. And let's face it, you just didn't hire me for my insights on Israeli constitutional law. 
But what I will share on this Shabbat Hagadol is that beneath all of the tumult of the unfolding events is a pain-filled observation that everyone seems to have forgotten the dialogical message and model of the Passover Seder. How we need to heed its message today. The Seder that reminds us that though we may share a common narrative, each of us reads that narrative differently. That the truths that are self-evident to one person are the source of hurt to another and that both reads, Elu Elu reflect the will of a living God. Long before the present day, the Seder understood the dangers of narrow casting. None of us are creations ex nihilo. We're all products of experiences and stories that have shaped not just our self-perception, but our prescriptive recommendations for the world in which we live. The Seder reminds us of the importance of those stories, the importance of sharing those stories, and the importance of listening to the stories of others. The Seder reminds us that far more important than the quick victory of a conversation-stopping zinger is a spirit of earnest and enduring inquiry, a well-placed question willing to reveal our own uncertainties even as it challenges the counter-certainties of others. As Heschel taught us, we are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers. The Seder reminds us of the importance of listening to views different than our own. As the saying goes, we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much. The Seder reminds us not only that every voice has a seat at the table, but that a person can sit down at a meal and get up from that same meal as another thing. And to do so is a sign not of weakness, but of strength, growth, and maturity. The Seder reminds us that we are all members of an expended mishpacha, family, and that if only we could see the world through the lens of family, we would stop thinking in terms of winners and losers and start asking the question of what's in the best interest of the whole. The Seder reminds us that the success of our efforts is ultimately measured by way of how well we pass on our stories to the next generation, that our stories become their stories. Most of all, the Seder reminds us that important as the aspiration for self-determination may be, such an aspiration has to coexist alongside another person's right for the same. To be a free people, in our shared land. That is the dream and the condition of the Seder and for the vitality of the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Every year, every year, it's an important mitzvah to fulfill the Passover Seder. And this year, more than ever, if you can, invite someone new to your Seder. Not just someone who's never been to a Seder or your Seder, but someone whose views are different from your own. If you can't invite someone new, or if you're going to be a guest at someone else's Seder, then bring a new Haggadah with new interpretations to the table. Maybe this year leave a seat empty at your Seder table and go around and ask the question pointing to that seat of whose voice is not being heard at your Seder table. Check yourself as you tell the story, what your version of the story is. Allow for your views to be challenged. Invite those questions, interpretations, and comments of others. Make space for their views 
and let them sit comfortably and uncomfortably alongside your own. Know that doing so does not diminish your humanity, but expands it. The Seder is a massive exercise of values clarification, a night to be our best selves, to imagine the world not as it is, but as it ought to be. We may not be able to change the world, change Israel or the Jewish people from our Seder table, but we can at the very least be the change we seek to see in the world, from which hopefully a more systemic and far-reaching vision can emerge. Why is this Shabbat called Shabbat Hagadol? The answer actually comes, as I noted, from the final verses of the Haftorah reading today. The day of the great redemptive day, Hagadol, when the prophet Elijah arrives and the hearts of parents will be turned to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. In other words, there will be a great reconciliation whereby our hearts will prove capacious enough, supple enough, and loving enough to make room for the hearts and the truths of others. It is a redemptive vision that is more elusive today than perhaps it ever has been. Maybe, just maybe, if we open our hearts and our doors wide enough for that spirit of Elijah to enter, in the years to come, people will look back and tell the story of us and say that it's because of them, it's because of us, that we were able to bind the wounds of our people, that our people were saved, and that redemption finally arrived. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.